Well, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We are in the middle, if you're visiting with us today, we have a number of visitors here with us today. I want to welcome you again. We're so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us this morning, and uh, you are most welcome, and want to make sure that you know that and uh, that you have been greeted. Uh, we are studying this book of Timothy, and it's a, an important book in the New Testament because it's Paul writing to Timothy, who has been stationed in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. And he is, Paul, he is telling Timothy how to conduct himself and the church of Christ there in a way that promotes the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's, he's uh, telling Timothy he needs to oppose the false teachers that have infiltrated the church uh, he's given him instruction on worship and prayer and how to conduct ourselves in, those, uh, in that, uh, that space. Uh, he's talked about evangelism a lot and how to reach out to the lost. Uh, he's discussed leadership roles in the church and how the business of the church should be conducted. And here in chapter 5, he's talking about caring for one another in the church. And last week, we looked at the first couple of verses of chapter 5, and, and we were talking about how we are a family. We're brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Christ, and we are to love and encourage one another in the family of God. Well, now Paul turns his attention to uh, one particular category uh, for caring for one another, and the category is widows, one of the most vulnerable groups in the church in the first century, and still so today. 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16, if you're able, stand together for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, the children, first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach." But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows... For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows... Let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Well, this is the Word of God. You may be seated.
In a 2013 article in the New York Times entitled, No Husband, No Friends, a woman named Charlotte Brozick wrote, Thanks to Noah, the world is made up of people in twosomes. I don't think it's Noah's fault. Uh, I think God created us that way. But she's writing, Thanks to Noah, the world is made up of people in twosomes. I never thought much about the ark until my husband died one bright, sunny November morning almost one year ago. My friends headed for the hills. In the last years of my husband's life, we had come to rely on two or three couples for entertainment, but they disappeared after he died. Were they afraid to face their own mortality, or was it that the dynamics we presented as a duo were lost with me as a widow? Widow, the word means empty. Another charming word I have come to embrace, bereave, to deprive or rob. Here I find myself a bereaved widow, relegated to my erstwhile friends to the occasional lunch or shopping spree. Someone once said that being a widow is like living in a country where nobody speaks your language. In my case, it's only my friends, family, and acquaintances who all now speak Urdu. It's not the whole country. I discovered strangers possess more compassion than my own friends and family. A very sad article. Widows are all around you. Many suffering in loneliness and silence, forgotten, or worse, ignored. Are you aware of widows in your own family, or widows in your neighborhood, or widows in your church? It's not shouldn't be hard to see widows in this church. We've got about 10%, maybe more than 10% of our congregation are widows in our congregation here at First Presbyterian Church. The world may ignore or forget about widows, but God sees them and he cares for them. And he demands that we do the same. Our call to worship and the assurance of pardon I read uh, tells us so. Psalm 68 and our call to worship says that God is a protector of widows. Psalm 146, our assurance of pardon, says that God upholds the widow. The Old Testament prophets time and again railed against those who oppressed widows. God's law had stipulations for widows stated in the strongest terms, Exodus 22, 22. God says through Moses, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Very, very strong words from the Lord. He takes that seriously. This concern and care for widows is demonstrated and taught in the New Testament as well. Acts 6 tells us that even in the early days of the church there in Jerusalem, widows were being fed by the church. And that's where we get the office of deacon from. There were so many widows and some of them were being neglected. So they raised up uh, a class of church officers named deacons so that they could particularly care for 
the widows and make sure they were, they were taken care of. And of course, the passage before us gives us very clear instruction on the care of widows. Jesus uh, spoke harshly to the scribes and the Pharisees who, as he says it, uh, robbed widows' houses. Well, before us today in the passage that we're looking at where Paul talks about caring for widows, we have here a litmus test. Now, some of you remember back when you were children, maybe you had a chemistry set, um, or maybe some of you kids have a chemistry set today, uh, and you had litmus paper, and uh, you could put that litmus paper into a solution to see if if it was an acid or a base. Uh, If the paper turned red, it was an acid. If it turned blue, it means that the solution is a base. It's not a complicated test. It tells you one or the other, and if it doesn't change any color, then it's neutral. So it's a very simple test and one that helps children especially learn about acids and bases. But we use that term, litmus test, as something that tells us where we are, either here or there, a litmus test. And so this passage before us is a great litmus test to see if if we have the love of God in us or not. And there's no more important question than that one. It also is a litmus test to, tell us to, 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 to help us to see if we have grasped the gospel of grace or not. Another uh, of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves. Is your heart blue and cold without the love of God in others? Or is it red hot on fire with the love of God and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Your attitude and actions towards widows and other vulnerable groups mentioned in the Bible, such as orphans and immigrants and the disabled, will reveal the state of your heart. So let us dive into the teaching of this passage, and then I'll make some three application points. I've given you an outline if you have that and you can follow along. Well, in the passage here, he contrasts widows in two different ways. First of all, he contrasts those who are true widows versus those widows who have family around them. Verse 3 starts off, honor widows who are truly widows. Uh, Honor widows. The word is uh, timeo, which can mean fear. Uh, My name is Timothy, and that that name is Greek. It means uh, honors God or fears God. Timeo, theos, uh, honor in God. So we are to uh, show respect for widows, to esteem widows highly, especially those who are truly widows. He uses that term at least three times in this passage. And what he's talking about are widows who have no one, no family whatsoever. Verse 5, she who is truly a widow left all alone. She doesn't have a husband, obviously, but she has no children either no extended family to help take care of her. Now, in our context, that's not as bad as it was was in the first century, in Paul's day, because in those days, there was no government provision for anyone. Uh, If you didn't have someone, a family member, a husband or or, or uh, a, ch- a child to help take care of you, you were completely on your own. Much different than it is in the United States today. We live 
in a welfare state. Most of the Western world, uh, the countries are welfare states. That means that the government uh, plays a critical role in protecting and promoting its citizens' economic and social welfare. Uh, Places like America, Canada, North America, uh, most of Western Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and in Asia, Israel, uh, South Korea, Japan, these are all welfare states. The government cares for its citizens somehow or another. In the United States, we have Social Security. We have other programs for those who are in need, and the government will send you a check. Um, it wasn't that way in Paul's day. If you were left all alone, you were all alone. And someone was, was it was necessary for you to survive, someone was going to have to help you. You were, you were uh, at the at the uh, mercy of people's mercy and their charity. So Paul and the church and the Lord is taking care of widows, and the church was vital in that. Now, although we live in a welfare state and there are provisions made uh, for those who who find themselves in a destitute situation, that does not alleviate the church's responsibility to care for widows and other groups who are marginalized in society. Widows in Paul's day had trouble even acquiring the basics, food, clothing, and shelter. You see, you remember uh, Tabitha or Dorcas was a godly woman who died. And when you encounter her in the book of Acts, uh, there are a large number of widows there mourning her death. And they were showing Peter all the the clothes that she had sewn for for them, how she had taken care of them. And thankfully, Peter is able through God's power to raise her from the dead. She was an example to us of those who care for widows. And the early church as well took care of those who could not take care of themselves. So Paul is contrasting uh, true widows versus the widows with children. And he stresses the fact, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, that if you've got children or grandchildren or family members, that is, it is primarily their responsibility to take care of the widows in their family first. We have a number of people here who do that today, and I commend you. We have a, a number of great examples around us of children of widows who are caring for their parent who has lost their husband. We also contrast old widows and young widows in verse 9. Um, and he's talking about the elderly widows who are truly widows, who are destitute. But in verse 9 he says, let her be enrolled. In other words, uh, let her be put on the list of, of widows that the church is caring for if she is uh, over 60 um, and, and she, is, she has been a vital part of the church based on 10 and 11 the things that she has done, shown herself to be truly a believer. Um, She is to be one of those who is taken care of. But it goes on in verse 11, refuse to enroll younger widows. Now, it's not that he's hating on younger widows, but younger widows have an opportunity to get remarried. They have an opportunity to have a family moving forward. And he says here, this is a little tricky to uh, understand, but he says, Refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now, he's not condemning 
getting remarried because he commends that to them in verse 14. I would have younger widows marry. What he's talking about in verse 11 and 12 is that these women are, are, are left alone and uh, they have passions and lusts and they live in Ephesus, which is uh, the uh, majority pagan. And so as a young woman, they w- she would have opportunities to go out and, and commit fornication, have a one-night stand, uh, be completely self-indulgent in her desires, or marry an unbeliever. And so uh, she would abandon her former faith, adopting the faith of her new husband. So Paul's not saying they can't remarry, but they need to remarry in the faith. And he's encouraging them to do so. Another thing that he says about young, uh, young widows is that they, they have a lot of energy. They're going around from house to fa- house, and they have nothing better to do but be uh, gossips and busybodies and worried about everybody else's business and, and not their own. Maybe they don't have a lot to, going on in their lives, and so they're interested in everybody else's lives, and they're going around spreading rumors and gossip and so forth and so on. So Paul is saying to these younger widows that they need to marry and bear children, manage their households, and move forward in their lives and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. But his real concern here in this passage is these older, elderly uh, women who have lost their husbands, who have no means of support, and the church needs to step up to the plate. Now, the second thing he talks about here is the responsibilities the families, the church, and the widows themselves have before God. Families, uh, it's in verse 4, it says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let the children or grandchildren first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. Return, the parents have taken care of them. Now it's time for them to take care of their parents. And he says, This is pleasing in the sight of God. If you're taking care of your widow, uh, your, your mother who's a widow, or, or an aunt who's a widow, or somebody else who's a widow, uh, you are fulfilling the command to honor your father and mother. That's, that's pleasing in the sight of God. God put it in the ten most important laws that he wrote out, that we care for our parents. Verse 8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's the strongest term possible. Are we ignoring uh, widows in our own family? If we are, we're not demonstrating that we have faith and we're worse than an unbeliever. He goes on in verse 16 to specifically mentioning believing women. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Uh, A widow, uh, being a woman, uh, uh, needs some other women to come alongside and help and be there and understand where they're coming from as as a uh, woman to woman. So Paul specifically mentions believing women here in caring for widows who are truly widows. And the church, obviously, this is, he's writing to the church here, uh, to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus. He's telling them, look, the church needs to care for those who are truly widows. It is our responsibility as believers and in the body of Christ to, to care for them. Acts 6, as I mentioned before, 
uh, there was a controversy in the early church, in the very first uh, years of the church, where the church in Jerusalem, which had grown dramatically after Pentecost, it was filled with widows, Jewish widows, Gentile widows. They'd all come together, and some complained that the Gentile widows were not being cared for like the Jewish widows. And so the disciples got together and they instituted the office of deacon to care for the widows, for all the widows, to make sure everyone was being fed and taken care of and that they had what they needed. So the church has a responsibility to care for widows. When you look out at the the different marginalized groups that are mentioned most often throughout the Old and New Testament, it's widows and orphans and the sojourner among you, the immigrants. Uh, we have a golden opportunity. I mean, we can just spend our time taking care of widows and orphans and immigrants all around us. They're everywhere. And we can share and show the gospel. And we're commanded to share and show the gospel to these three groups in particular because they don't have anyone to help them. It's a great opportunity for us. If you think about the organizations that are set up to care for these various marginalized groups. You know, we have orphanages, and probably everybody here could name an orphanage. Mississippi is known for a great orphanage, Palmer Home. Uh, We can talk about all the support that's given to immigrants in our country. But how many organizations are out there for just widows? Uh, A very small percentage when compared to the others. So widows are a great opportunity for us to share and show the love of Christ, and we're commanded to do so. But too often our widows get pushed to the side and forgotten. Now finally, in this category of responsibilities, Paul has some directions for widows, and we've got a number of widows here. So verse 5, uh, here's, some, here's, here's a model of what the widow should look like and shouldn't look like. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So if you're a widow and you feel alone and and maybe useless, well, Paul says you're not. Set your hope on God. He's taking care of you. And continue in supplication and prayers night and day. That means you don't do anything but prayer. But it says, like Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer. People need our prayers. So widows, uh, I would lay that on you as a ministry that you can have. The ministry of prayer. I need your prayers. But then he turns his attention to the one who is self-indulgent. But Verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Self-indulgent to... Uh, indulge in satisfying your own appetites and desires. In my research, uh, I read a few stories of widows on the Internet, and I read one very sad story about a a young widow who lost her husband, and she craved uh, human contact. She craved craved, uh, a hug or physical contact, and so she started having one-night stands. She put this all on social media, on Instagram, and, and is bragging about it. And she's moved on from one-night stands, and now she's uh, having relationships with married men and with, with men with girlfriends. And, and she's saying this is a great coping mechanism. And Paul says she's dead even while she lives. 
She's completely given in to self-indulgence. She can do what she wants. She has no one to tell her which way to go. And so she's just pursuing her desires for a moment of satisfaction and comfort. Paul knows that that's the case even in his day. And he's, and he's warning against that she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. And he says to Timothy, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. The Lord wants you to be without reproach, widows. So those are the responsibilities that we have as family members. We need to care for the widows in our own families, those who are widows in the church. Those widows need to set an example to the rest of us in godliness and prayer. Now three things I want to make by the way of application. We see the responsibility that we have. And here's where the litmus test comes in. Here's where we can see where we stand in our attitude and our actions towards widows. The first thing is this. Caring for widows show that we know God's love. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, I've given it to you on your outline. It says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters for that matter. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's fine for me to get up here and preach a sermon about caring for widows, but if nothing happens, then we've not done anything. We've loved in word and talk, but not in deed and truth. If we know the love of God and we see someone else in need, then we should run to fulfill that need. Verse John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Have you experienced the love of God in your life? Do you know God's love for you who was destitute in your sin and misery and hell-bound and God rescued you out of that by his love? Have you experienced that? If you have experienced that, then there should be some fruit in your life, namely love for others, namely in this case love for widows, for the orphans, for the sojourner. So caring for widows show that we know God's love. Secondly, caring for widows shows that we know God's gospel. John goes on in 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice of atonement is what propitiation means. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Have you experienced the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you heard the message and embraced it? Have you, have you gone to Jesus and, and had your sins forgiven uh, knowing that you, as Ephesians 2 says, were dead in trespasses and sins, at, at, at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God, strangers to the promises, no hope and without God in the world, but in Jesus Christ, 
because God was rich in mercy and because of his great love, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ, new creations in Christ, forgave us our sins, freed us from the power of sin. Have you known that? Have you who once were far off and been brought near into the family of God, have you experienced that? Well, when we care for widows, we show that we grasp the gospel. We emulate that love with which we've been loved. And it's the actions that we... It's not just some emotion or feeling. It's the action of love that Jesus demonstrated that we demonstrate to others. So, we look at these two areas. Have we, do we know God's love in our lives? Have we embraced the gospel in our life? If so, it will come out in the way that we love others, the way that we love widows. Now, thirdly, finally, caring for widows shows God's love and the gospel. We talk a lot about sharing the love of Christ or sharing the gospel of Christ. We need to speak and and tell people about Jesus. But we also talk about showing the gospel of Christ and showing the love of Christ. And the two have to go together. Uh, If not, we're hypocrites, right? If we say one thing and and our actions are completely denying what we're saying, then we're hypocrites. But when we care for widows, that's one way that we can show God's love. We're doing what God has done to us. We're loving in the way that God has has loved us. We are giving grace freely. We are uh, reaching out to the needs of someone who hasn't the means to pay us back. And that's the gospel. That's what the gospel does to us. We We can't pay Christ back for what he's done. But yet he still loves us and welcomes us in. And when we, that's, that is one way that we as the church can share and show the love of Christ to widows. We can do it to orphans. We can do it to sojourners. We can do it to, to people who are disabled and families. Who, you know, families who are disabled, uh, a lot of them can't come to church. And, and they're a mission field unto themselves. So I would encourage you, If you want to share and show the gospel of Christ, think about these marginalized groups around you. How can I love the widow? How can I love the orphan? How can I love others who are in need in my neighborhood, across the street, uh, at work, or so forth and so on, or even in my own family? In conclusion, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this strong statement in his epistle. James 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, religion, the word religion is often used in a pejorative way by Christians. We don't want to be religious. We want to have a relationship with the Lord Uh, We don't want to just go through the motions. But that's not the way that James is using that. The word religion here uh, means piety, and and that word can sometimes have a negative concept, uh, negative uh, connotation to us. Uh, It can also mean worship. But what he's talking about here, the actions, religion is the actions that flow out of belief in and worship of God. If we believe in God and we worship God, 
then that should change the way that we live our lives. And he's saying, if you, uh, if you want to have pure and undefiled religion, uh, the way that you live your life, believing in God and worshiping God, to do that pure and undefiled is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. We forget the first half of that sentence and go right to the, the last half usually. We've got to keep ourselves unstained from the world, but we forget the widows and the orphans. But we need to put it in the priority that James put it in, to care for those who are in need, particularly orphans, widows, uh, and we have a lot of widows here among us that we can care for. And I venture to say that if you looked around your neighborhood, you'd find a whole lot more. We have a lot of retirees here on the coast, people who have come because of the VA hospital or because Keesler, and they've been stationed here and their husbands have gone. They're all around us. And may we show and share the gospel to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love with which you have loved us and how you saw us in our destitute condition and you reached out with your love and mercy and provision. And Lord, may we emulate that in the way that we care for widows in our families, in our church, in our neighborhoods. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.